Today we continue in our series, True or False? Who will you be in 2022? And this series, I'm thankful for your feedback in it, but what we're doing is we're really trying to answer the question and to go after the idea that who you are, who you are matters more than what you do. Okay, who you are matters more than what you do. And for those of us who have um, dedicated our lives to following Jesus as our, our Messiah, our Savior, I, I'd almost like to say, like I have for the last two weeks, I don't really think it matters what we accomplish in 2022 if at the end of the year we don't look more like Jesus. Right? This is ultimately what we should be stepping into, is how do we look more like Jesus? And we've been using this braid of paracord to kind of uh, illustrate the fact that like, there's different parts to who we are. And when we look at this, especially when we look at the white that's on here, this is our true self. This is who God's created us, knitted us to be. And this screams out over and over, you are chosen, you are my child, and you are loved this is who we are, but somehow in the world that we live, the enemy continues to attack and to get us to believe lies, and he's been doing this from the very beginning of the time, and, and each of these colors that are on here represent a different lie that we all believe. Uh, we went through the blue string last week, which was the lie of, does anybody remember? It's up on there? You could, you could talk out loud to me. It's okay. You can read it on the screen. This is... I am what I do. I am what I do. The black string represents I am what others think. We're going to be going over this next week. I can't wait for, well, I don't like this. We're going over this next week. And then today, we are looking at this pink string. The pink string is I am what I have. I am what I have. This lie is a nasty lie because very similar to last week's lie of I am what I do, this one has weaved itself so delicately into our worldview that it seems normal for us to believe that this is true when it's actually a lie. And sometimes it becomes very, very, very difficult to recognize. Other times... It's absurdly easy to recognize this lie when we see it. Like earlier this month. Earlier this month, um, the Rolls-Royce CEO, Torsten Mueller-Oltvos, I think you have to say when they have dots on it, like I don't know the proper way to say that when there's dots on top of vowels, so I did my best there. Um, the CEO of Rolls-Royce, he was interviewed by... And they asked him, how in the world... Did you sell more cars in 2021 than you did at any time in your 117-year history? What do you think contributed to this? And his response, I'll be honest with you, it shook me a little bit when I read it. He said this, quite a lot of people witnessed people in their community dying from COVID. That makes them think that life can be short and you better live now than postpone it to a later date. That also has helped Rolls-Royce sales quite massively. Now, just, just pause for a second. Remember that the entry point on their new sedans is $300,000 baseline. 
entry line. That's with no bells and whistles. And they sold over 5,500 cars last year, which really comes out to it was, it was over a $1.6 trillion year for Rolls-Royce. $1.6 trillion with a T dollar year. And that's if everyone bought baseline. But come on, if you're buying a Rolls, you're not buying a baseline, are you? They're like, oh, we can you know, rub this thing on it for $100,000. Oh, yeah, do that. That'll be great. Right? That's, what, that's what happens. And, and Torsten attributes the people's response to getting these cars to the pandemic. He says, listen, a lot of people are watching their neighbors die. And, and when you watch people die, it makes you think about your mortality. We could agree with this, right? There's truth here. No one goes to a funeral thinking, oh, that was nice, I'll see you later. No, we all think life will end at some point. This is spot on. And, and he makes the argument that because life is short, Maybe people should take this extra $300,000 that they have lying around and, and help families dealing with death and loss and pain. No, that's not what he says at all, is it? He, he says people see death and they think their life is limited. So you know what you should do if life is short? Invest in you right now because you may not have tomorrow. I know that this is a bit extreme for us, right? No one's got $300,000 lying around right now that you're wondering, should I go get a Rolls? Um, I, I don't think that's where most of us are. And it'd be really easy to sit back and be like, man, it must be nice to have those problems in life. Um, anybody else think this besides me? Okay, right? Like, oh, poor baby. Um, but listen, I, I really do think this is just an exaggerated story, an illustration of the lie that I am what I have that each and every one of us are fighting, that each and every one of us have to deal with. And, and I know last week when I was poking a little bit at the, the I am what I do lie that we believe, some of you were frustrated and you're like, ooh, I did not like that you uncovered some of that stuff. But exposing the lie this week of I am what I have might feel even worse. And I say that because when it comes to money, when it comes to possessions, our obsession with security and comfort they have become such the, into the fabric of who we are and we get more emotional about money, our stuff, and our titles than we do about anything else in our country. And so if you're feeling right now, and I'm bringing some of this up, emotional already, if you're sitting there thinking, can I leave right now? Like, is it, is it wrong for me to bounce? I need you to pause for a second because this lie may have a deeper hold on you than you would like to believe. If there's something in here that you're worried, like, what's he gonna, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna do? Listen, I, I wanna be upfront with you. I have no desire to frustrate you this morning. Um, there's nothing better like, oh, just frustrate everybody before the annual meeting, it'll be great. I have no desire to get something from you at all. I believe that God through this has something for you that there is some truth in here to help us when these lies come to say this lie cannot be part of my journey anymore. How do I become more like Christ and less like the world? Because I honestly believe that if you attack this lie with the truth of God, you will find yourself living for something so much greater than anything the world has to offer you. Amen? I think this is what King Solomon 
was looking for and going after a little bit when he was writing Ecclesiastes. And, and that's where we've been spending a chunk of our time going through and looking at these lives. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2. This will be right after Proverbs, about halfway through, and then the next book over. And listen, as you're turning there, this is important to remember. Uh, if you've never read Ecclesiastes, it's a very interesting book. And Solomon is writing this book from a different perspective on where can I get wisdom in my life? What, what do I need to do? And this is right after Proverbs, which is all like, gain wisdom, life will be great. So he begins the book in this weird way, and he says that all of life is, do you remember the word he used? <laughs> all of life is meaningless. But really, he was saying that, better translated, all of life is, is like smoke. It's like smoke. It's beautiful. It's mysterious. It, it takes a one shape, and then it starts to transform into another. It, it looks solid, but the moment you go to grab it, it slips right through your fingers, and this is what life is like. He's not saying life has no meaning. He's saying instead that life isn't always clear, is it? The purpose of life is not always clear. It's confusing. It's disorienting. It's uncontrollable. So then where do we find meaning? for our life. Let's jump to chapter 2, verse 4. This is what we read. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of gold and silver, the treasury of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many concubines. So this teacher, he pretty much has it all, right? With all of the wealth that... that they've gathered, they now have everything the world would say is valuable. They have bigger houses, nicer yards, flourishing and productive gardens. They have more employees than anybody. And I know that this um, mentions slaves. And the context of slavery here is different than what you and I understand in 2022 right now. So if that's a trigger word for you and you're like, what the heck, please know God does not look at slavery and go, yeah, game on, no problem. That, that's never let someone use the Bible to tell you that. That is incorrect, okay? It's incorrect. Uh, but that's a great conversation. I'd love to have another day. He has it all. He's got all the money. Dude, my, my man literally has his own house band in his house. How cool would that be? Like, pick your favorite band. Can you just play over dinner? This would be wonderful. And then he, 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 this is odd, but he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Again, this is not an endorsement of uh, polygamy and getting married. Like, that's not it at all. God says one and one is what I want. Seriously, Solomon today, 
they've estimated his net worth today would be about $1.2 trillion today. He would be the richest man alive. And if you jump to Second Chronicles, which is a couple books back, in chapter 9, it actually gives this giant list in this chapter of all the things that he had. Let me tell you, he's got huge, huge, massive amounts of land that he has acquired. If you look on this picture, you'll see this little spot on the left-hand side. That's Israel current day. When Solomon took over, he extended the land that they owned and that they occupied all the way to the north through Syria, which is what you would see there. Then he went east into Jordan. He went all the way down south to the border of Egypt. And then he received about 25 tons of gold yearly. With that gold, he had actually crafted over 500 shields in gold, 500 shields of gold. Can I tell you how much good a golden shield is? It's not good at all, it's the softest metal. What a horrible, do you know why you did this? This is him showing off his money, showing off what he has. But he's not gonna show it off at home because he has another palace right near the forest of Lebanon that he puts everything in this second palace of his. And, and in the second palace, he's got this huge throne and it's overlaid with gold and ivory and it's, it's unbelievable. And he's got these 14 statues of lions that surround this that are intimidating and huge. And when it came to eating and time to go, he had only gold cups and utensils. Silver actually became almost meaningless in this nation. It was devalued because of the amount of gold that was present. And then he had this fleet of trading ships that would circle the known world at that time, coming home every three years filled with treasures and exotic animals. So there's like peacocks running around. Why? Because he could. Because he could. Every year, kings and nations would bring tributes to him. They would honor him with, with what he had and give him more. He had over 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots for his army. He was never in one real war, but he was ready. And with these, like a lot of these are found in a city called Megiddo. And uh, this was like the main place of war in the Middle East in Israel. And it, it's still to this day, you could go to the city and see where these stalls are. There's still stalls there. And you need something to pull these chariots. So he had about 12,000 Egyptian horses imported from Egypt that he spread throughout the entire nation in case he was going somewhere that he would have his horse to ride. I mean, he sums it up so well, doesn't he? In Ecclesiastes 2.8, he says, I had everything a man could desire. Position, wisdom, power, he had security now. He had security for the future, money, worldwide fame. He had his choice of sexual partners. Everything the world says will make you happy, he had. Everything the world says, if you can do this and get this, it will bring value to your life. He had it. So was it enough? Was his life now full of meaning? Well, let's jump over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Three chapters over, starting in verse eight, he continues to expand a little bit. He says, listen, don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Those who love money will never have enough. 
How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people that come around you to help you spend it. What good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Did everything that Solomon have bring meaning to his life? Was his power and his position, did it fulfill him like he thought it would? No, it just revealed that all power and position is abused all the time. Even when you get all the way up, you see it beneath you. If you're looking for justice, let me just be clear with you. The world that we live in has a rigged system. It's just the way it's worked. It's always worked that way. Injustice is part of a worldly system of government. He realized power is abused. And those with power will do everything they can to keep their power. So they make it hard to get anything done and impossible. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't hear a giant amen in the current. There we go. Come on. This is what we experience right now, isn't it? Amen. So did Solomon. This is not new. This is not new. And you know where the problem starts? Solomon goes, it actually goes all the way up to me. I have a problem. Even the king milks the land for a little bit. Even I am not honorable. My power is not pure. It's still corrupt up there. We are constantly told by our world that if you move up in the system, if you have a new title, if you have a new role, if you have that money, we promise you that it will bring you satisfaction. And I need to tell you that this is a lie because it will not. It will not. There is no title or position that this world can offer you that will bring you the value that you long for, that you wake up trying to find because there is only one title that matters and it was already given to you by your creator. You are my child. You are loved. You are mine. You were created in my image. You're mine. You're my child. That's the title that matters. No title and no position could ever, ever, ever compare to the grounding and confidence that comes from knowing that you are a child of God. No title the world can offer you will beat this. But Solomon had it all. Was it enough though? Did it bring meaning? No. If you love money, what does he say? You're never going to have enough to satisfy you. If you think that that promotion's gonna change everything, listen, you're grabbing at smoke. You're grabbing at smoke. Solomon says the more that you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Which only leads to a need for more money, right? You see the problem in this? I like the way the great philosopher Chris Wallace puts it. In 1997, he said, more money, more problems. More money, more... Biggie, Biggie Smalls here, he's not telling us something we didn't already know for those of us who are a little older when we were singing this with our pants hanging down here, just kind of running like, listen, this is not new news to any of us, is it? He's just reinforcing what King Solomon was already saying. If you place your value in more money and nicer possessions, this is a huge problem because there will always be a way to make more. There will always be a newer model of what you want. There will always be the next title you could go after. Enough 
will never be enough and you will spend your life grasping at smoke thinking you're so close. But satisfaction will never come. And I know for some of us, it's not so much about what we can accumulate right now for us. Sometimes I think the lie that I am what I have works its way into our futures. It works its way ahead of us and we become so consumed with having enough in our old age so that we can retire well, that we can have enough to pass on to our kids so they have these, these great amounts of money that they could use, that they don't have to live what we lived through. Or we prioritize some of us tomorrow at the cost of today. And, and please hear me. I don't think that savings is bad at all. I think saving is a very biblical thing that we should be doing with our money. Saving is a biblical way to use money. But I also think that when this saving for the future is rooted in fear and it's rooted in control, that's when we have a major problem. King Solomon understands this as well, believe it or not. Just jump down to verse 13 of chapter five. He says this, there's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything's lost. And in the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's child. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came and all their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Solomon highlights here how hoarding riches harms the saver because it becomes all that we think about. When a market rises or falls, so does our personal value. And then, and then if we buy into the get-rich-quick schemes where, you know, it, it's this risky investment, but it's worth it. Get that NFT. I still don't know what these things are. You bought a picture of a picture that's the same picture. I, I don't get it. But you're like, I'm convinced this is it. You buy into this, this newest cryptocurrency that you swear is going to be a game changer for you. Sweet. Guess what? These risky investments, God's saying, I, I do want you to save. I want you to have an inheritance to pass on to your children. I think it's good for them to have something. Don't blow it on something stupid right now. That's, that's dumb. But don't think that if you keep saving and you leave a ton to your family that they're going to use it well. Don't think that. That's ignorant of you. Your kids look like you. My kids look like me. We make bad decisions, don't we? They will too. King Solomon had everything. He had everything. He had enough for generation upon generation upon generation to be set up for their life. And do you know what happened with all that he left? Everyone fought over the money and the land, and the power. He did not leave a blessing. He left a civil war behind him. The nation divided. It was the beginning of the end for Israel. And so he challenges us. He says, you need to remember that you came into this world naked and with nothing. You're going to leave this world the same exact way. Naked with nothing. 
You can't take that Rolls Royce with you to heaven. God doesn't want those hoopties in heaven. What we have is way better. Everything that we acquire, that we have is left behind. And I need to tell you, it's not always a blessing to families. As a pastor, I wish I could tell you how many families I've walked, through, walked with. As someone has passed away and an inheritance is left and families are divided over this, they fight over what they can have and what they can get. They sacrifice relationships for position and for money. This actually, it happens to Jesus that he's approached with this issue. Do you know that? Jesus is approached with this very issue in, in the, this, the biography of Jesus written by Dr. Luke. If, if you want to turn there really quick with me, it'll be about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells, or Luke tells us this story about Jesus. Starting in verse 13, Luke chapter 12, he said, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, and they're, they're trying to get Jesus' attention here. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Okay, what do we have here? An inheritance that's been left. So the dad did something good here. He's leaving an inheritance. And, and this is a common issue that we see. His brother says, listen, we're not getting along. So teacher, you're like the judge. Make the call for us. We're taking this to court. And, and there's no way for us to know here if there's any legal grounds uh, for the request. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter because Jesus is going to call out the lie. I am what I have here. Okay. So the guy says, tell, tell my brother, Jesus's response Oh, I love this. Check it out. Verse 14. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you? I don't get to pick how you choose your money, to spend your money. Jesus is so clear here. Who made me judge over you to decide such things as this? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you, what's that word there? Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. We learned about this last week in Ecclesiastes, didn't we? Is that what he's saying he should do here? Well, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. There's no way this guy approaching Jesus expected this answer. You know what I'm saying? There's no way. He's like, oh, I just wanted you to say like 50-50. Even like, you know, 65-35, just anything, but not, you just told me a story that I didn't like. But this story, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but as I've continued to look at it this week, it has cut me to the heart because I look and, and in this story, the man has a very fertile farm. He's doing well, so well that there's surplus and Jesus presents us with a question that we often try to avoid. What do I do with what I don't need? Because when we have to ask that question, it reveals to us that we need to actually ask, what do I need to survive? More crops 
in this situation was not a blessing. It created a problem for the farm owner. I guess it's mo crops, mo problems. I don't know who would wrap that then. But what's interesting is he's going to have to spend more money tearing down barns to build new ones to hold this giant surplus. Based on what he said, he's, he's concerned for his future, so it's smarter in this moment to bank all the surplus than it is to trust God to come through year after year. When God speaks to him the phrase, you fool, this is um, the way the Old Testament uses this term and this um, phrasing a lot when it comes to anyone who does not listen to the knowledge and obey what God is saying. Every time God gives a command, it's like, you fool, why, why? you ended up in this place. Of course you ended up in this place, you didn't listen. And so Jesus gets straight to the point. You've got extra and your first thought is how to hold on to it? You, you, you worked hard. Your barns are full. This year is covered. So you're going to build bigger ones? You, you can't even use this. So you're not going to use this. And then, oh, verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. In this life, if you're gonna put a ton of effort into investing and banking, my hope, my prayer is that you would be investing and banking in your relationship with God, not in more money, more possessions, or a better title. And I get this is a tough teaching. And I, I so bad, uh, I will be so transparent with you. I want to find ways around passages like this. I want to find ways where I don't have to really believe what Jesus is saying. I don't, I don't like this because it calls for major transformation and action on my own part and for us. But the truth is Jesus isn't, this isn't a one-off story for him. He says the same thing over and over and over every time money and possessions came up. Why are you asking this question? Are you worried that someone else is getting too much and you're not getting enough? Oh, oh I'm sorry, do you not have what you need at this point? Are you looking for more security so that you can kick back and coast the rest of your life and not trust me with what's going on? Where is your value today? Is it in what you have? Because if it's in what you have, and what you have is lost, who are you? If your value is found in what you have, and what you have is lost, who are you then? You're worthless. I think that's why verse 10 or verse 31, about 10 verses later, Jesus says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you, what's that word? He'll give you everything you need. Sell your possessions in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure 
will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so Jesus' rebuttal to this lie, I am what I have, he, he, he hits it hard by saying, I'm going to turn what you think you know about your value and worth because you are not worthless. You are my child. And if you are my child, then you can't get wrapped up in your stuff. You can't get wrapped up in your position. Instead of seeking to build your kingdom, seek God's kingdom above everything else. Instead of investing in your bigger and your better, what if you invested in God's kingdom, a place where markets never fluctuate? A place where interest rates unmatched, where your treasure is safe because the truth is it's not in your hands. If you're sitting here now and you're thinking, Jimmy, Jesus is not really serious when he's saying this. It's, it's, it's hyperbole. Maybe he's just kind of like casting vision in a different way and trying to talk about this like that. And, and even if he's, like, it's not realistic. It's 2022. He doesn't understand the world that we live in. These thoughts are tugging on you right now, and they're strong, and you're trying to find a way out of this. Again, I want to ask, how tight do you think this lie is wrapped around you right now? Because the spirit inside you, the lies that the enemy has sown into your life and mine, this is the last thing he wants us to get rid of, because when we begin to release this, we could become so much more like Christ. Yes, you've worked hard for what you have. Most of us have. But the question we have to ask is, do you have things or do those things have you? What type of treasures are you building up? At Crossbridge, I will be so honest, we, oh man, we do all we can to live generously. We do talk about money at our church fairly often. And the reason we do it is because Jesus talked about it all the time. And I don't think there's anything that has such a hold on our identity in our culture like money does. It just does. At Crossbridge, we want to be a generous church. We want, we want to be generous believers. And we believe this. A few years ago... Um, I know some of you are newer to Crossbridge, and this is part of our story you might not know, but I think it was about January of 2020, we were right on the cusp of buying a piece of property. We were in talks with the owner. I was cutting avocados on stage. It was a great time. And just before the pandemic hit, this deal fell through, and we were, I, I, I am not going to say we, I was devastated. I was frustrated. I felt like I had given so much to this and when the pandemic hit and we lost everything, I mean literally everything, we could not meet here, our trailer got flooded out and everything was lost, we had nothing to our name possession-wise. That's not true, a truck that was broken down, so like 300 bucks. And over the last two years, can I tell you what God's done? Just as a church, he's like, you don't really need the building and the property you thought you needed right now. You, you don't really need the things that were in your trailer. I mean, I know that was a, a good stuff, but it, it's not as nearly as important as you think it is. You'll figure out a way. 
And over the last two years, we have given away more as a church than I could ever dream was possible. God has provided for every need that we've had, and then every bit of surplus has pretty much gone out into our community. I'm not telling you that these stories of Jesus are just for you. I'm saying this is who we are. Do we really believe what he's saying? Because as a church, we will not be wrapped up in what we have, how big we are. We're we're not out to flex any of these things. We are going to be who Jesus has called us to be, and that is his church, his bride. Who are you? Are you his child, or are you so wrapped up in your stuff, your position? What title means the most to you right now? Where is your treasure today? Where is your value found? I want to leave you this morning with three quick steps and three questions that we can journal through through the week in those books that you've got that you were picking up when you came in. And these three steps that I I would suggest for you are... um, these are, it's, I, I remember I put it in last week and then I liked the way that I had it and I was like, oh, we're gonna do this. This is the easiest way that you can, you know, like basically punch this lie in the face every time it presents itself to you. Every time you find yourself wrapped up in I am what I have, how do you stop it from coming in? You have to act aggressively towards the sin and towards the, the lies that are in our life. These don't go away haphazardly. And so for those of you who this is the lie that weaves itself most into your life, these steps are gonna seem as ridiculous as what Jesus just said at the end of Luke 12. So the first step that I would suggest for you to take is to sell or give away. This simply means that if something that you have has your heart and you know it, it's that possession, it's that thing that you're like, I just could never get rid of that, (laughs) that's my thing. I'm not kidding, sell it. Give it away. Get it out of your possession because it holds you. And if you're thinking, oh, cool, sell it to get, no, 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 sell it and then give the money away. Donate it. Give it somewhere. Find your favorite charity, your organization, something you're passionate about that maybe goes, give it away. Give, literally, sell it and give it away. I'm dead serious. But Jimmy, it's big. I don't care. That's ridiculous. Fine, take it up with Jesus. He just said it. Things can't have you if you don't have them. They can't. The second step that I would suggest that you take, maybe a little more practical, is fasting. I know that's probably like, Jimmy, I, I don't see food as my like value and worth. No, we are actually so dependent on the regularity of food that we don't know what it means to go without. You never know how much You've got until it's gone, and fasting simply is taking a certain period of time and dedicating yourself to not eating, intentionally choosing not to eat. And we talked a lot about this. We did a whole message on it in our Pathway series that I encourage you to jump back on YouTube. You could dive deeper into this, but it's a beautiful, beautiful um, practice in the Christian faith, and it has been for a very long time. But few things will show you how dependent you are. And in our culture... When you deny yourself, it seems absurd. Deny yourself and see how you respond. You'll see this lie pop up. Um, It's the opposite of what our world tells us to do. And finally, the third practice that I would encourage you to step into is tithing. This is a practice found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I would argue this um, step right here 
This is for those of us who have chosen to say, I choose Jesus and will follow him. If you're here and you have not chosen to follow Jesus, I don't ever expect that this would be something you would think is like wise to do, but I would encourage you give away 10% of your income to charities and to, to making the world better. But God calls us as followers to give 10% back to him. If you're thinking, no, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford 10%. I'd encourage you make a budget. See what type of things right now you're spending money on. I'll be candid with you and personal. This is my, my favorite thing to do with our finances is the tithe. I love, I love doing my taxes at the end of the year to see what God did in our finances by living generously. I love this. But it's the way that I cut at this lie for me. Here's your three questions to think about and, and we'll just list them up on the screen for you so you could write them down. And I wanna give you a minute just to kind of think through some of these things and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The first question is, how often do I compare myself or my stuff to others? How often do I compare myself or my stuff to others? Think about things like the possessions that you have, the house that you live in, the apartment you rent. This sounds weird, but think about your body. How often are you comparing that to what other people look like? Think about what skills and talents you have the grades that you get, your title at work, your bank account, salary, even your college degree. Is this something you show off? How often do I compare myself or my stuff with others? The second thing is, where have things gotten in the way of relationships? Where have things gotten in the way of relationships? And you could think specifically with people. If you're constantly telling someone, don't touch that, leave it alone, that's mine, there's a problem, just so you know. I have this problem. There's a problem. How's it get in the way of your relationship with, with God? And then which of these three steps excites you or makes you nervous? Which of these is like, oh, that would be, like, I, for me, tithing excites me. I love this. I know what I have to sell or give away. I don't like this. What is it for you? Let's take a minute. And let me just ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us in this time. Holy Spirit, would you search us? Would you reveal to us a step that we can take to punch these lies of the world and Satan in the face because we desire nothing more than to end this year looking more like you and looking less like us, Jesus. Give us insight in this time. Speak to us.